from generations to generations you are God you remain the same that's why you're called the ancient of day this morning before your awesome presence we just welcome the Holy Spirit here today who is already here brooding over every heart and every life we ask that the Word of God will come forth with entrance and with unction and through the ignition of the Holy Spirit that life will come life will come Lord we're thankful because you love your people so much you loved us so much you sent Jesus to come and die for us every single person under the sound of my voice you number all the hairs of their heads you etch them in the palm of your hands they are the very apple of your eye Lord let your love be revealed today in the lives of your people let them experience you not just as God but as father today let the fire of your love burn within every heart and every life let your passion burn brightly drawing them closer to you like never before Receive glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name we pray. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Wow. What a privilege it is to be in the company of the saints, the house of God, to fellowship together. I'm going to be teaching this morning. I've titled uh, this message this morning, uh, The Cave, The Place of Transformation. The place of transformation. And my thesis is the fact that God has a cave that he has created just for you. God has created a cave for you. Because the cave is the place of transformation. I want us to start this morning by opening our Bibles. The book of Philippians chapter 2 verse 5. I just trust the Holy Spirit to lead us this morning. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5. It says, let this mind or this attitude be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. The New Living Translation explains that better. It's not like Jesus was thinking he was robbing God. It says, though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. And he goes on to say, he made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bond servant and coming in the likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those on earth. And of those under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
to the glory of the Father. So in this passage, uh, the Apostle Paul is showing us a pattern that we must emulate. He said, let this attitude be in you that was in Christ Jesus. Because if you emulate this attitude, you are going to experience the same thing Jesus experienced. It was an attitude of humility, even though for all eternity he had been God, he is God, he's always God, and he has always expressed himself as God in his omniscience, his omnipresence, his omnipotence. He did not consider that to be something to hold on to at all costs. There was something even more important to him than that. And that was obeying the will of the Father and fulfilling God's plan for humanity. So as a result of that, he laid aside the privileges of divinity and the expressions of divinity and he humbled himself. Everyone say he humbled himself. God didn't humble him. He humbled himself. And as a result of his humility and going and fulfilling the will of the Father, which was a pathway of humility, he, as a result, became exalted. And he now has a name which is above every name. You know, the Bible says in the book of Proverbs chapter 18, Verse 12, it says that before honor is what? Humility. Before honor is humility. So the experience of Christ is not surprising or incidental. Uh, honor always follows humility. Humility always comes before the honor of God. And that's why Paul says that if you want to experience all that God has for you, understand that God is going to take you through a process that is going to ensure that you humble yourself under his mighty hand. Because the Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 6, it talks about God resisting the proud but giving grace to the humble. You know, grace is the power of God to fulfill his will for your life. Whenever we talk about the grace of God, we're talking about the power of God in operation. But grace comes when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. When we're clothed with humility, we are actually clothed with power. And Jesus demonstrated that in his walk on planet earth. Amen. Now, um, let me begin by defining humility. Humility is not so much about acknowledging what you don't have. Humility is recognizing what you have. It is recognizing what you have been given. But understanding that you have it and you have been given that thing, not because of what you have done, but because of God's plan for your life and his grace that is extended toward you. It is the recognition of who you are and what you have been given. Not because of what you have done, but because of who God has created you to be. 
A truly humble man or a truly humble woman is somebody who rests in the identity that God has given them as opposed to what they have accomplished for themselves. The cloaking of humility embraces the power of God and the grace of God over your life. He says, let this attitude be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. So in order to cloak you with humility, God is going to lead you through a process. Everyone say a process. He's going to lead us through a process that will help us recognize that what he has given us is not because of what we have done, but because of his grace. So he leads us through a path, and oftentimes this cave is always part of that process. And I'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. You know, I was reading a book the other day. Uh, this book is titled, it's written by a lady called um, Julie Mayer. And the Lord gave her a lot of dreams and supernatural encounters. And you know, I like dreams and encounters because, you know, how many of you know that most of the Bible uh, was written from some kind of dream or encounter? Do you know that? I mean, every scripture was, did not come by human inspiration. In fact, men were moved by the Holy Spirit and he used them infallibly. The first five books of the Bible, the five books of Moses, came by revelation, did they not? Yeah? Genesis. The Bible says in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Moses wrote that. But Moses was not there in the beginning. So God gave him a revelation, did he not? Yeah? When he walked into the glory cloud and he was with God for 40 days and 40 nights, God gave him revelation. Are you with me? So revelation. I love revelations. I love revelations. Now, I don't establish theology based on dreams and visions, but they are an important part of the equipment that God has given the body of Christ. Amen. So this woman had um, quite a few dreams and revelations, and she wrote something which I want to read a little bit, and then we're going to expand on. She says, the Lord wants us to ask him for more of his presence, for more of his spirit and his gifts. Yet often, we are not ready for him. And we don't understand what we are praying for. The Lord wants to answer our prayers, but he must purify us first. And his refining of us comes from his passion for us. In his mercy and love, he brings many forms of pressure into our lives, watching to see what will arise from our hearts in response. Whether the scent is a fragrance depends on how we react when we understand that many times these pressures are his answer to our prayers. You know, a lot of times when we pray and we ask for more of God, we ask for more of his presence, we ask for more of his power, we go into times of fasting and we say, God, I want to fulfill your will for my life. Well, what tends to follow that is a time of pressure. And a lot of times we don't recognize that oftentimes pressure is actually a response to our prayers. 
Someone just said, I'm not going to pray anymore. <laughs> it says, the process of crushing and refining is often painful and difficult. But if we respond in acceptance, we will be the sweet fragrance of prayer to him. The sweet fragrance of prayer to him. You see, the Lord in his love for us will allow us to go through times of pressure because the pressure is his process of refining us and bringing us to that place of humility so that he can cloak us with his grace. Because we need God's grace to fulfill his will and purpose for us in the days in which we live. The Lord is passionate about us. He's passionate about leading us to a place of exaltation. But that passion requires that he takes us through a process of pressure. Because one thing pressure does is it reveals to us what is really on the inside. And a lot of times we can't carry what God has for us in our current state. God loves you the way you are, but he loves you too much and he loves me too much to leave me the way that I am. Are you with me? Because he has for us a time of exaltation. Jesus' exaltation was based on him going through a process of Humility, a process that required him to humble himself and to the extent to which he humbled himself was the extent to which he could be honored and exalted. You know, when you read the lives of people in the Bible, you find out that the greater God's plan for their lives, the more intense the pressure they seem to go through. And you would see that happen over and over again, time and time again. So rather than pressure being something to resist, it is something that we must recognize is part of God's process. It is not surprising, for instance, that as soon as Jesus received his commissioning at the Jordan, he was led into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. You know, people like Abraham, who became the father of many nations, we saw the journey that Abraham went through. You know, we call Abraham the father of faith. But how many of you know that before he became the father of faith, he was first the father of ridicule. He had to go through a process where he was the only one in his family. He was the only one around who at 100 years old didn't have a child. His wife was a woman of ridicule. And the Bible says in Romans 4 verse 1 that Abraham had to discover some things. He had to discover some things about faith. His discovery came out of that place of need, did it not? He didn't understand it perfectly. He made mistakes. He had Ishmael. But we see that God had great plans for him. So God allowed him to go through that process. And often, we find that people who become great leaders in the army of God are people who have been allowed to go through the greatest trials. You know, just reading through 
the history of men of God like John G. Lake, who was a great healing evangelist, um, Kenneth Hagin, who was a great teacher of faith. When you read their autobiographies, you'll see, for instance, that someone like John G. Lake, several members of his family died to tuberculosis during the time where there was no cure for it. He was confronted with so much pain and with so much death around him that that forced him or pushed him into an exploration of God that he wouldn't otherwise have had if that hadn't happened to him. Now, I'm not saying, of course, we know that the devil is the author of sickness. The devil is the one that comes to kill, steal, and destroy. But the Lord will allow you to go through certain things. We know, for instance, that Kenneth Hagin was, I mean, he was born with a deformed heart. He had about five or seven different diseases, and each of those diseases would kill him. Each of those diseases were terminal. But it was through that process that he pressed into God and discovered God's principle of healing in the Bible. When I was reading his autobiography, there was a point where he had read the Bible over and over again. In fact, at this particular time, he was bedfast, so he couldn't come out of bed um, for about a year and a half. Imagine being in bed for a year and a half. And during that period, he kept reading the Bible, kept reading the Bible. And on the inside, he knew that there was something. There was something in the Gospels that would get him his healing. He came across Mark eleven twenty four. Where the Bible says that what things soever you desire, when you pray, believe you receive it and you shall have it. And he, he believed that. Uh, but he wasn't getting healed. And there was a point in his, his biography, and you can read this in, I believe, in Visions, where he spoke to God and said, God, if you come down today and you tell me that the reason I'm not healed is because of a lack of faith, I would have to say to you, God, I respect you, but uh, you are mistaken. And he said when he said that, because he had looked at this verse from every possible angle, and he, as far as he was concerned, and he was doing what the verse said, but he wasn't receiving the result. But he said when he said that, the Lord spoke to him and said, Kenneth, you are exercising your faith as far as you know. So God was trying to tell him that there's still something. There's still something about the process that you haven't discovered yet. And he stuck with it. He discovered it. And he received his healing. Now you and I could say, well, why didn't God just heal him? Why did God allow him to go through that process? God will allow you to go through a process because of what he has planned for your life. God is raising sons and daughters for glory. And his process requires a pathway of humility where you will humble yourself under his mighty hand which means that you will lay aside everything in you that is not of him and you will substitute your own identity of yourself for what he has said concerning you. Abraham became the father of faith because he submitted to the process of God. Look at a person like Jacob. Jacob was destined to birth a nation. You know, it's called the nation of Israel, not the nation of Jacob. Because Jacob did not start out as the person with the highest potential, as far as people were concerned. He was a sharp guy. He was a deceiver. And for over 20-something years, that was how he lived. But God had a destiny for Jacob. 
But Jacob had to go through a process. And that process, if we turn our Bibles, for instance, to the book of Genesis 32, let's look at that real quick. We will see the culmination of that process that brought Jacob to a place of humility. Because it is when we humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God that he can truly exalt us. But oftentimes, humility becomes the last result of a process of failure because, you know, we constantly look for other ways out apart from God's way. But because God had a great plan for Jacob's life, he did not allow Jacob to go because that plan required Jacob to be enfolded with the grace of God, which required Jacob to humble himself under his mighty hand. Look at Genesis 32. So, you know, it is no surprise that you and I will encounter things that are beyond our ability to deal with. Because humility means laying aside what we think about ourselves, laying aside what we consider to be our ability to take us over, and placing that down under God's mighty hand, and humbling ourselves to his supreme wisdom. Look at Genesis 32 real quick. In Genesis 32, we see Jacob facing the trepidation associated with um, meeting up with his brother Esau again after so many years. Because of time, let's go straight down to verse 22. It says, During the night, Jacob got up, took his two wives and his eleven sons, and crossed the Jabbok River with them. After taking them to the other side, he sent over all his possessions. This left Jacob all alone in the camp. And a man came and wrestled with him until he saw the dawn began to break. When the man saw that he would not win the match, he touched Jacob's hip and wrenched it out of its socket. Then the man said, let me go for the dawn is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go until you bless me. What is your name? The man said. He replied, Jacob, your name will no longer be Jacob. The man told him from now on. You'll become Israel because you have fought with God and with men and have won. Please tell me your name, Jacob said. Why do you want to know my name? The man replied. Then he blessed Jacob there. Jacob named the place Peniel, which means face of God. For he said, I have seen God face to face, yet my life has been spared. The sun was rising as Jacob left Peniel, and he was limping because of the injury of his hip. Even today, the people of Israel do not eat the tendon near the hip socket because of what happened that night when the man strained the tendon of Jacob's hip. You know, here we see a struggle between Jacob and God. Now, if you get into an arm wrestling match with God, you are going to lose. But you see a scenario here where, you see, the Lord in his love, the Lord in his love always brings us to that place of admission. The place of admission that I cannot do it myself. And that place of admission is a place where we finally humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Every single person is going to be brought to that place of admission. Because God gives grace to the humble. A lot of times we like to think 
that we are humbling ourselves under God's mighty hand. We are doing what God wants us to do. But it is only when we come into times of pressure that the reality of where our strength relies on will be revealed to us. You see, remember that um, at least uh, 16 years before, Jacob, or 18 years before, Jacob prayed to God and said, God, be with me. You know, if you be with me, if you follow me to where I'm going, I'm going to tithe to you. I'm going to honor you. So Jacob, as it were, from the beginning of his journey, um, seemed to be following God. But yet, all the way through, his name was still Jacob. He was still living by his wits. There are a lot of people who are calling on the name of God. There are a lot of people who are Christians. There are a lot of people who come to church, who tithe, who are regular tenders. But when the divine person takes an extra of your life, we will see that there is still a lot in there where we are relying on ourselves, relying on our wits, relying on our contacts, relying on what we are able to do for ourselves. And you see, for what is coming and where we're going and where God wants to lead you, no flesh will glory in his presence. It has to be a place where you and I, in everything we do, humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. And the way we will get to that point is things are going to be brought your way by the Lord to show you where your strength actually lies. When Jacob got to Peniel, Everything he did was based on his fear of Esau. You see, he could live by his wits, but when it came to Esau, Esau knew exactly who Jacob was, and Jacob knew he had no strength against Esau. He had deceived Esau and stolen his birthright, and Esau was much mightier than he was. But God had a plan for Jacob. God had a plan that Jacob was going to be the ancestor or the person that births the nation of Israel but the plan of God for Jacob's life and the plan of God for your life and my life can never come to pass in the flesh so God will allow you to come to a place of confrontation where you resign to him hallelujah not everybody does that everybody's brought to that place but we are the ones God is not going to humble you you have to humble yourself under his mighty hand in this place of struggle with the angel, Jacob said, I am not going to go until you bless me. I have decided that I want heaven's pattern for my life to be manifested. So the angel said, or the Lord said, what is your name? And for the first time, he admitted to who he was. He admitted that he was a deceiver. He admitted he was a supplanter. You see, you cannot change yourself. You certainly cannot change others. But really, even yourself, you cannot change yourself. You can try to change yourself, but you can't change yourself. Our lives are changed when we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. It's only God that can change us. Hallelujah. So when Jacob admitted to who he was, he wasn't surprised in God. But it was a place of repentance, a place of acknowledgement. And as he repented and said, God, I need you. I am a supplanter. I am a deceiver. I can't move forward except you help me. The Lord blessed him and changed his name. That was the place where Jacob was crowned with the grace of God. And you notice an encounter with God will always leave you with a limp. A limp demonstrates that you cannot walk in your strength anymore. 
A limp demonstrates that you have to be leaning on something. It means you have to be leaning on the everlasting arms of God. And it's not just something you talk about. It is something that we see in your life on a daily basis. It's like the higher you go in God, the more you are used by God, the more you recognize your need for him. When Jacob left Peniel, he left a broken man, but he left stronger than he had ever been. The cloak of humility is the cloak of power. Because the cloak of humility is the cloak of grace. It is where God's power now steps into your life and begins to propel you forward. In the life of every great man of God, every great person in the kingdom, there are always times of pressure because pressure is needed to show us what's on the inside and it leads us to a place where we can truly lay down our strength because by the strength of man, no man will really honor God. That's why Jesus said in John 15 that without me you can do nothing. Without me you can do nothing. And we need to come to that place of recognition and acknowledgement because that is the place of grace. Now where do caves come in? Why am I talking about caves? You know, there are three caves that I see featured. It's not a, an exhaustive list, but there are three caves I want to focus on this morning. The first cave is seen in um, Genesis 37. Let's go to Genesis 37 real quick. Genesis 37. Now, this is another person that God had great plans for. Joseph was someone in the Old Testament who um, is actually a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are not many of them, but Joseph was a type of the Lord Jesus Christ because when Joseph became prime minister of Egypt, he not only saved Egypt, he saved Israel as well, did he not? Yeah, because he saved the people of Egypt, he saved the economy of Egypt, but then he saved the people of God, he saved the world as it were. So Joseph had a great destiny in God. Uh, God had great things planned for Joseph. But like the Lord Jesus Christ and like you and I, God had to take Joseph through a process uh, of pressure um, that would lead him to a place of truly trusting the Lord and dying to himself. So a few verses here. Um, if you look at um, Genesis 37, verse 18. Now, prior to this, Joseph had received dreams from God. He had received dreams from whom? From God. You know, I want to see the parallels here between the life of Joseph and the life of Jesus, for instance. Because Jesus had just been baptized and commissioned in the Jordan. And as soon as he heard the words, you are my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased, and the Spirit of God came upon him and was filled with the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God led him straight where? The Into the wilderness. Seems very strange, doesn't it? You know, if God uses testing and pressure to bring us to a place of humility so he can empower us with grace, and he's very thorough in the process, God help you and I, because he's a divine person. So that means it's like somebody purifying gold. 
I know gold needs to be subjected to great temperatures. Yeah? And the higher the temperature is, the more the dross comes to the surface. Okay? And, you know, I mean, and as they clear the dross off and heat it up again, anything that is hidden will come to the surface. And the application you want to use it for is what determines how high the purity needs to be. Are you with me? If all you are using gold for is, you know what, just so that people can see shine shine on your face uh, or on your neck, that is one application. You don't need 24 carat or 32 carat for that. Okay? But when something is going to be used for a high-end application, it is subjected to the most stringent of tests. Now, can you imagine when it is God himself that is subjecting an instrument to testing to make sure it is pure? Imagine how detailed God gets. Now, God had just given Joseph some dreams. And those dreams showed his destiny. He had a dream where sheaves all bowing to him, 11 sheaves bowing to him. He had another dream where the sun, the moon, and the stars... And 11 stars were all bowing to him. Now, when the Lord gives you a lot of revelation about yourself, there's a tendency that you start thinking that you are all that on a side of fries. I mean, we're all beautifully and wonderfully made. Psalm 139 tells us that. Yes? I mean, we are all made for signs and wonders. Um, You know, the Bible tells us that. Isaiah tells us that. All the children of God are made for signs and wonders. And that is true. Hallelujah. But true humility is recognizing who you are, but realizing that you are that person, not because of anything you've done, but because of what he has called you to do. And the Lord has to get us through that process where we realize that we are who we are because of what he has called us to do. So immediately Joseph had all these wonderful dreams. Unfortunately, he began to think that he was better than his brothers and his parents. So the Lord had to take him through a process. Genesis 37 verse 18. They saw him afar off, even before he came near them. That's his brother. And they conspired against him to kill him. Then they said to one another, look, this dreamer is coming. Now why do they call him the dreamer? Because he probably rubbed their faces in the dreams. The dreamer's coming. Come, let us kill him. Cast him into some pit. And we shall say, some wild beast has devoured him. We shall see what will become of his dreams. Now you might say that that represents the devil. But do you know that the Lord allowed Joseph to be cast into the pit? The Lord was there when they were throwing him in the pit. I'm sure Joseph was very surprised when he was thrown in the pit. He probably thought, don't you guys know who I am? I am your savior. Did I not tell you the last dream I just had? You see, the Lord will tell you his plan for your life, but he is also going to allow you to be thrown in the pit. Because the reason that plan will be fulfilled is not just because of you. And you need to come to a place where your trust is in God and not in yourself. Sometimes as we teach on faith, we may have given the wrong impression 
that the faith of God is the faith in ourselves, but the faith of God is the faith of God. It's our faith in God, not faith in ourselves. Are you with me? Not faith in ourselves. And God will take you to a point where your faith has to be turned from being in yourself to being in him. And that is why he will allow your dreams, he will allow your ambitions to come to a place of death because it is only then that you can turn your face to him as the one who raises the dead. He does that for everybody. Because a lot of times when you are confident in yourself or even in God's plan for you, a lot of times we turn our face away from God as the one who brings things to pass in our lives and turn our faith to ourselves. I mean, I remember when, um, when I went to Bible school and, um, you know, it's like, um, it's like Moses in the book of uh, Deuteronomy, basically one of the books he wrote, he said the man Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. Now, you would assume that that statement will disqualify him because if you are meek, you know, I mean, not a very meek thing to say. But he was actually accurate. You see, humility is not denying who you are. But in your heart, recognizing that I am who I am because that is what God has called me to be. Not because I'm better than you or you are better than me. I think it is false humility to keep denying who God has called you to be. It is true humility to own who you are. In Christ. Hallelujah. This notion that we are all the same is false. We are not all the same. We are all children of God, but we are not all the same. And that's why we need to honor people and recognize God's hand upon their lives. Hallelujah. You can't do everything. You're not called to do everything. And that's why we need you and you need us. Hallelujah. So, um, humility is recognizing who you truly are. So, went to Bible school. And, um, you know, I knew I was anointed, of course. You know, and uh, I've been anointed for a long time. <laughs> so, when we went to Bible school, I was one of those students. The reason why I'm so um, patient towards people that um, would be considered obstinate or students that argue with their lecturers, the reason why I'm impatient with them is because I used to be that person. You know, when I was in Bible school, in fact... At some point, my lecturer wondered why I was there, you know, because I would take him up on every point. And he was a very gracious person, you know, but that's how I was because I knew I was, you know, I knew what I knew and he acknowledged that. So anyway, um, while we were in Bible school, uh, I needed to do some, some uh, temporary work. Well, I thought I'd be working with a minister, you know, um, his name was Mark Brzee. This is in Tulsa. And they said, oh, you know, so I went on the first day of work. And they said, okay, you are the guy from the Bible school. I said, yes, I'm the one. And they said, okay, come with me. And they took me to the, um, to the warehouse. And they said, uh, you see all these tapes here? They need to be stacked up and put in boxes. And I looked behind me and I wondered, sorry, who are they? Sorry? <laughs> they said, no, no, could you stack those tapes for us? I said, Okay. And I stacked the tapes. And then afterwards, I said, okay, we'd like you to transcribe messages. So sit down at this desk. You can touch type, can't you? And I could touch type. I said, okay, just sit down here and be typing. So in my mind, I thought, when am I going to meet the, the guy, the man of God, you know? And then during winter, um, they said, oh, could you come help 
So I thought, oh, this is my day of revelation. And they put a, uh, a shovel in my hand. And they said, you see, all this snow, ice it was. Could you help us break the... You see, it did something to me, actually. That pro- you know, and, and I knew the Lord asked me to go there. But going through that process did something to me. Yeah? On the inside, something began to change. And the Lord is going to take you through a process where something changes on your inside. And if you study, we don't have time to go through the life of Joseph. You know it as well as I do. But if you study the life of Joseph, you'll see that the process he went through caused changes to happen on his inside. To the point that when he became exalted and when he became prime minister, when his brothers came, there was nothing in him that wanted to execute vengeance on his brothers. Yeah? In fact, he said, you know, what you did, um, you know, God has turned it around. What you planned for evil, God turned it for good. And he was humble towards his brothers. And that is a life that is cloaked with humility and is embraced with the grace of God. Yeah? So we see this happen time and time again. So we see the pit in the life of Joseph. Uh, when you look at David, the man David, David went to see his brothers, um, you know, at the battlefront. And Eliab said something, like, what are you doing here again? You see, there was something about David, even though David was heavily anointed by God, there was something about David that grated on his brothers. You know, David had no problems telling you exactly what he thought, even though he was the youngest. Now, that is not a bad thing, but there was something there that where his reliance was on himself. You know, as soon as he had that encounter with Goliath, and, you know, he defeated Goliath, everyone started singing about David. Saul has killed his thousands. David, his ten thousands. They had an, a song in Israel. It became... The top 10, number one on the Israeli music charts. Yeah? It's all about David. Have you heard about the new guy, David? Right? Now, there's something that does to a young person. Unless you have been through the process of God. Do you know what happened immediately after that? After that time of exaltation and glory? He became the person that Saul wanted to kill the most. And immediately after that whole incident, he had to run away. And the first place he went to was a cave. It was called the Cave of Julem. That's where um, his brothers and all the distressed and discontented came to meet David. When you study the life of David, you will see that David went through a process where even though he was anointed by God and God had a plan for his life and became one of the greatest kings in Israel, God had to take him through a process of humility. And we see that again in his life later on in his years, when his son Adonijah wanted to take the kingdom from him and David willingly vacated his kingdom and said, if it's the Lord's will, he will restore the kingdom to me. So even though he was a great mighty man of war, God had taken him through a process where he was cloaked with humility and therefore he walked in the grace of Almighty God. Most other people at that stage of their lives, their ministry is threatened by some young upstart, they are, you know, and they had all the power to crush the person, will crush him. 
will crush him. I mean, there's a friend of mine who has, uh, he's doing great things for God. In fact, he's preached here. He travels all over the world and preaches the word. When he was a young man, he worked for a minister. And uh, this minister, um, if I mention his name, you'll all know him, but I wouldn't do that. Very powerful, very wealthy, does great things for God. And this young man um, felt that God had called him to start his own ministry. But the minister wouldn't, you know, wouldn't let him go, basically. Um, because we like to keep talent in the house. They have to stay here, you know. But anyway, he left and, um, but, I mean, and he started a very small ministry far away from, um, from the parent ministry. And uh, there came a time when he wanted to buy a building. He wanted to buy a building in London. A uh, very small building, not very, I mean, not a very big one. And he began to negotiate to buy this property. But the other minister heard about it. Apparently, they shared it, an accountant. He heard about it. And before this guy knew what was happening, that ministry had bought over the building that he was looking at. They didn't need it for anything. They shut it down. They boarded the building, but they wouldn't let him have it. Yeah. Now, that is what happens. You might think that that's not possible for you. But that is what happens when you have anointing or you have grace or you have wisdom, you have a dream of God and you have not allowed yourself to be processed by the Lord. That's what happens, okay? Rather than become somebody who brings fruit to the kingdom of God, you become a terrorist in God's kingdom. I'm telling you, there are a lot of people like that, all right? And it's just because we haven't submitted we are going to make this thing happen. God gave me the vision, so that vision is going to come to pass. And we forget that he is the author of life. He is the author of visions. And it is only through his grace, it is only through his grace that his plan for your life will be fulfilled. And that grace is given when we humble ourselves under his mighty hand. And humility will take it to a place where you have to make a decision Am I going to make this happen or am I going to allow this dream to die and allow God to resurrect it? Are you with me? We can talk about so many different people. I mean, of course, the last cave that we, we can talk about is the one in 1 Kings 19. Um, and that's the cave that Elijah went to. I mean, that whole story of Elijah is an exciting story because we see a man that was larger than life. Yeah, he was a great man of God. He did great things for God, all right? But when you look at the life of Elijah, you see that Elijah, his view of himself was really that he was all that. Because when he went to Ahab and said, Ahab, it's God's will to bring rain on the earth, the first person he met was Obadiah. And, you know, he said to Obadiah, who served the king, he said, Obadiah, go tell the king, that I am here. And Obadiah said, you know, you are such a great man of God. We have heard that the Lord translates you. One time you are here, and then the Spirit of God will raise you up and take you somewhere else. I mean, Elijah was such a great man of God. And he said, listen, please be merciful to me. Don't you know who I am? I'm the one who saved a hundred prophets that Ahab wanted to kill. And I've been feeding them in the cave. He said, don't worry. Go and tell Ahab I'm here. Then he spoke to Ahab. And then we know what happened. He went to Mount Carmel. He prayed and fire came down from heaven. All these wonderful things happened. But then it got to a point where, you know, he felt that through him, God was going to cause repentance to come to the whole nation of Israel. And that repentance that he was expecting didn't happen. It didn't happen. He killed the prophets of Baal. He 
killed the prophets of the grove. He outran the chariot of Ahab. But still, that nationwide repentance didn't happen. You see, God is going to fulfill his call on your life. Not in your own power and strength, but as you humble yourself under his mighty hand. I know Elijah came to a point where in his life he felt, you know, what's all this all about? Yeah? Let me die. Let it all be over. And I'm the only one that's doing anything of worth anyway. I mean, when you read that, you think, how come he ignored everything Obadiah said about the hundred prophets? Because he didn't reckon with them. He felt, I'm the only one that's doing anything of worth. And how come he didn't recognize what he was doing? How come he didn't realize that he was so full of himself? You know, when you are not humble, you get blinded by that grace that God has given you. You know, in the spirit, the cloak of humility just looks like a plain old thing. It doesn't look like, you know, it, do, it doesn't look like designer wear. But it's the only covering of the glory. Because the glory will blind your eyes if you don't have that cloak on. Yeah? Elijah was blinded by the glory of God upon his life. And that's why someone like Paul says that a message of Satan was given to me. Lest I be lifted up because of my abundant revelations. The Lord is going to bless you by taking you through a time of pressure that will bring you to a place of humility. Because the more humble you are, the more I can cloak you with grace. The higher you go, the more grace you need, which means the more humility you need. And the Lord will make sure that he allows you to go through processes that keep you soft on the inside. You know, Elijah, uh, and the Lord loves us. So when Elijah was going through his pity party, the angel came, gave him some food, and got him to eat again, and, um, and just told Elijah to rest. Say to your neighbor, rest. You know, Isaiah said that even youths would faint and be weary, and young men will utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. To wait on the Lord means you are binding yourself to him by twisting. You are binding yourself to him. You know, when you stop binding yourself to the Lord, you start relying on your own strength, and you are going to get weary. Hallelujah. But what you and I need is a renewal of strength which is really the addition of grace. And that addition of grace comes as we bind ourselves to the Lord. I remember the other day, because as we are moving forward, we are going to need more than our strength to get where we need to go. You know, the other day I had these experiences, and it was like a dream vision. I can't remember what it was, but I was asleep. And um, I had a horse, and the horse was lying down. It was a big white stallion, very strong horse, but it was lying on its side. And I was trying to yank this horse up. That man, come on, horse. We're going. Horse, we're going. And this horse was just there. I watch movies a lot, so sometimes the Lord will come to me in the movie. And um, so anyway, in this experience I had, you know, so I was trying to yank this horse. How many of you ever watched Lord of the Rings? Okay, you see? The pastor watches movies so he can admit to it in church. Anyway, in this experience, Gandalf came to me. Now, for those who don't know, Gandalf is a nice, you know, nice, wise seer. And Gandalf stood behind me and said, let him rest. Just let him rest. Let him rest. You see, there's a rest of God that we need in this time. Rest does not mean inactivity. Yeah? Rest means that you are fueling your life from the atmosphere of heaven. I'll say it again. Rest does not mean inactivity. But our forward momentum 
it's not going to be based on your own physical energy. Yeah? You need strength from above. Yeah? You need strength from above. And that strength is called grace. Yeah? And that grace comes on the back of humility where you recognize that of your own, you cannot fulfill God's plan for your life. Hallelujah. So with Elijah, he needed to rest. And then the Lord allowed him to walk for 40 days. You know, by the time you walk for 40 days, you know, you think about a lot of things. And I believe that by the time that Elijah got to Carmel, he, he realized that, you know what? I am not all that I thought I was. I need help from the Lord. Are you with me? And he spent his night in the cave. We see another cave there. A place where you're on your own. A place where there is quiet. A place where you get to confront you know, when you are with a lot of people, sometimes you get high on your own supply. Yeah? But when you come to that place of recognition of who you truly are and the fact that what you have in yourself is not enough, it becomes a place of encounter with God. It becomes a place of encounter with God. And we know the story. The Lord came. Whenever the Lord comes toward you, everything gets pushed out of the way. You know, people think that when the Lord approaches you, Everything becomes nice and quiet. No. Everything actually becomes more, more tumultuous. I mean, everything just like, you know, things that used to work, stop working. Everything, you know, all the flesh has to clear out of his presence. Yeah. And then he ended up in a place of quiet where he heard the still small voice. And that was where clarity came. First of all, that Elijah, you're not all that. There are 7,000 people. Forget the hundreds. 7,000 that are serving me. You know, if you died today, the will of God will still be done in the earth. There's 7,000 people, okay? In fact, there's a businessman that I have called to take your place. And you're going to train him. And then this is the guy that's going to be king of Syria. This is the guy that's going to be king of Israel. So Elijah came to that place of recognition and humility and therefore the, grace, the place of power and the place of grace. And Elijah is still walking in the earth today. Yes, he's in heaven, I know. But he still has an inheritance in the earth. Because there are things that Elijah did with his life. That you and I are still plugging into. So even though he has left, his grace is still here. The Bible still refers to the spirit and power of Elijah. Yeah? We are still, we are still part of Elijah's inheritance. Yeah? Because that which God has for your life. It's not just going to be fulfilled by you. You are going to leave a legacy that generations will plug into and you become a beneficiary of that fruit. It's not just about, oh, what you're going to achieve. No, it's about the legacy that you are going to leave. And you'll never leave that legacy if you and I don't humble ourselves under his mighty hand. Because it's not going to be like you thought it would be necessarily. But yet, God will receive glory and you will receive the reward of that process of humility. So the cave, I believe, is the place of transformation, is the place of glory, is the place of increase. And my admonition to all of us is that we should embrace the cave. We should embrace the cave and embrace the process because God is indeed doing great things in our lives. Amen. Hope you got something from the word this morning. Yeah, let's bless the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Amen. Let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Father, we're so thankful for the word. 
uh, we're thankful, O oh God, because um, the person that is blessed is not just the one that hears, but the one that obeys. Lord, help us in this message identify what you are saying to us specifically. Thank you, Father, because you love us so much. Thank you for your grace that's extended in our direction. Thank you, Lord, because you are passionate about allowing your glory to be revealed in our lives. Because that plan that you purposed for us before the foundation of the world, you are passionate about fulfilling it through us so that we can receive that exaltation and that reward that you planned for us even before we came. Lord, we give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.